Don't let diaper rash come between you and your baby. Diaper rash can be one of the worst experiences your little one has to go through, and keeping their delicate skin happy and healthy shouldn't require a spatula to apply thick, goopy treatments that can be just as irritating and uncomfortable as the diaper rash. Instead, try Dr. Mom Butt Balm. Dr. Mom Butt Balm is a pediatrician-approved skin protectant, free of dyes, preservatives, and zinc oxide. It was developed by a mom who is also a doctor when she couldn't find any traditional products that worked for her baby's persistent diaper rash. Use just a small amount of Dr. Mom Butt Balm to help soothe your baby's skin and feel good about making the right choice. Nothing comes between you and your baby, not even diaper rash. Check out Dr. Mom Butt Balm, available on Amazon or walmart.com. Well, hello there, Dr. Nicole here. I am thrilled to share something incredible with you today. Imagine having a treasure trove of informative, entertaining, and empowering video content about the journey to parenthood right at your fingertips. That's exactly what you get with Informed Pregnancy Plus. For less than 25 cents a day, you'll gain access to a vast subscription library filled with documentary films, web series, mind and body fitness programs, workshops, and courses covering fertility to parenting and everything in between. A few of my favorite titles are The Business of Being Born, Empowered Mama, Belly Dance for Birth, Ease into Sleep, The Afterbirth Plan, and The Core Connection. And here's the best part. For a limited time, you can gain full access absolutely free. Just visit informedpregnancy.tv to sign up. Get Informed Pregnancy Plus right now for your informed and empowered parenting journey, all from the comfort of your home. Visit informedpregnancy.tv. Again, that's informedpregnancy.tv. You do not want to miss this episode about perinatal mood and anxiety disorders with a psychiatrist who is certified in perinatal mental health. Welcome to the All About Pregnancy and Birth podcast. If you're having a baby in the hospital, you are giving birth in a system that too often takes away power from women over what happens in their own bodies. I'm Dr. Nicole Calloway-Rankins, a practicing board-certified OBGYN who's had the privilege of helping well over a thousand babies into this world. I've been a doctor for over 20 years, and I'm here to help you take back your power, advocate for yourself, and have the beautiful pregnancy and birth that you deserve. This podcast is for educational purposes only, and it's not a substitute for medical advice. Check out the full disclaimer at drnicolerankins.com forward slash disclaimer. Now let's get to it. Hello there. Welcome to another episode of the podcast. This is episode number 241. Whether this is your first time listening or you've been listening before, I'm so glad you're spending some time with me today. So Dr. Stephanie Waggle is a mother, physician, author, motivational speaker, teacher, cancer survivor, marathon runner, and founder of Improve Medical Culture. She has a degree in psychology, biology, medicine, and she has over 17 years of experience working in the mental health field as a psychiatrist. In 2023, she decided to become certified in perinatal mental health, specifically advanced studies in perinatal psychopharmacology, which is the use of medication for pregnant people. She feels this is an area that is understudied, which is so true, and that pregnant women deserve an educated professional to provide correct diagnosis and treatment. Yes, amen to that. She really heavily advocates for expansion and integration of PMADS care, and PMADS are perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. We have a really informative conversation. You're going to learn a lot. We talk about what are perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. It's more than just postpartum depression, how common they are, risk factors, the most common conditions that she sees. This may surprise you. Spoiler alert, it's actually not postpartum depression. 
We also talk about when someone should seek help because some level of sadness, anxiety is normal when you have a baby, but when do you know to seek help? Where should you get help from? When should you consider medication? We also chat about her approach to taking care of someone who is already on depression or anxiety medication prior to pregnancy and then they become pregnant. What should you do about continuing or not continuing to take that medication? What do you do if you decide to stop your medication during pregnancy? What are your options for managing your mental health while off medication? Also, when should you restart medication postpartum if you are breastfeeding? Tons and tons of useful information. Oh, and we end with talking about the recently approved medication for postpartum depression, I'm going to, I'm going to mess this up. (laughs) Zoranolone. I don't know where we come up with these medications, but this is the first FDA approved medication for postpartum depression. So we chat about how it works, how it's different than other medications. Really, really, really good information in this episode. Now, you know where else you can get some really great information? My birth plan class, make a birth plan the right way. If you're having a baby, you need a birth plan, but that piece of paper, that ain't enough of a birth plan. I teach you the way to make a birth plan that is going to actually help you have the birth experience that you want. You can check out my free birth plan class. It's at drnicolerankins.com forward slash birth plan. It is highly, highly informative, useful. People love it. And there's a little goodie at the end of the class too. So do check that out. All right, let's get into the conversation with Dr. Waggle. So much, Doctor. Is it Doctor Waggle? Is I should have asked you it this before we Dr. started. Waggle. Oh, look at me! I got it right, Doctor Waggle. Yes. Puppy dog's tail waggling, and then we, we got. Go. It. <laughs> well, thank you so much for agreeing to come onto the podcast. I'm really excited to have you talk about this really important topic. Thank you so much for having me. I'm yeah. super excited. Yes. Yeah, so why don't you start off by telling us a bit about yourself and your work, um, and if even if your family, if you like. Oh so I live in Northern Virginia and I've been in the DC area for, oh my goodness, uh, 14 years. Um, but I keep moving further and further out into the suburbs (laughs) as I grow up, I suppose. Um, and I have two kids. I have a daughter, she's four and a son who's 19 months old. So it does get louder out of the South sometimes. Yes. Yes. And um, I I like distance running. I just did the Marine Corps Marathon. <laughs> that is impressive. Yes, yeah. yeah. I, it's uh, I'm not good at sprinting, but to continue to run for hours right. and hours, somehow I can do that. Okay, well, um, there you go. Yeah, and um, let's see. Yeah, and then um, your practice. Tell us about your your practice and your work. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's called Improve Life PLLC, which. They made me put the PLLC at the end for Professional Limited Liability Corporation, but (laughs) improve life. Um, And so we've been around for about seven years in the Northern Virginia area. And I specifically try to focus on the treatment for um, young women, adolescents. Um, But we also see um, everybody um, because we have other providers here. Dr. Driscoll, um, she specializes in um, the males. And I, I specialize in ADHD. She doesn't specialize in ADHD. And then we have therapists too. And then we have Miriam Azim, who we couldn't function without. She's our office manager. And yeah, so we do ADHD testing, um, anxiety, depression, OCD, um, PTSD, Uh, just mental health in general, but I do specifically try to focus on adolescents and um, uh, people of reproductive potential because I have this certification in prenatal psychopharmacology. Why don't you tell us what that's about? What does that mean? Yes. So um, as we were kind of discussing earlier is there's not really too much that um, goes on in medical school or residency in regard to uh, medications to be prescribed, specifically psychiatric ones, for people when they're pregnant, because I think it's a bit of a sticky situation. Um, I have on my YouTube channel, it's called um, 
the therapeutic orphans um it's it's a video about how women when they become pregnant kind of just uh, are told by either the pharmacist or their provider just you know stop taking everything because mm -hmm. um healthcare workers in general have a greater sense of um responsibility if something negative happens for something that they have done or prescribed as opposed to something negative happening that they didn't prescribe so let's right. say there's they prescribe something there's a negative outcome it's it, there's a lot of guilt and um, responsibility but if they don't prescribe something and there's a negative outcome like that connection really isn't there so i think a lot of prescribers err on just not prescribing anything sure which actually does have detrimental effects right. so right um i wanted to fill that gap because somebody needs to be able to go to a doctor that's going to be willing to prescribe them something while they're pregnant. And my understanding is that there's only two or three other physicians in the entire state with this certification. And the fact that a lot of prescribers aren't really super educated in this mm -hmm. creates a lot of confusion because then people get conflicting information. So I thought, let's get some real information out there and allow for pregnant people to be able to get some medication. So Absolutely. Um, I, Absolutely. I got that certification um, about a year ago. Okay. And so, yeah, it's, awesome. it's pretty exciting for me. And really, and really important. And I, I don't think we even said you're a psychiatrist. I don't yes, think we even said that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yeah, so you're a, a, a psychiatrist and tell us actually what training you go through to become a psychiatrist. I'm big on, on making sure that people get information from reliable, trustworthy sources because there's so much out there online, you know, in social media that anybody can sort of put oh, up there yeah. whatever and say. <laughs> so please tell us about what training you went through to become a psychiatrist. Right. So um, I all it all started not <laughs> long ago. So I um, got my undergraduate degree in psychology and I graduated a year early because I was also pre-med and I had a writing minor. So I had like 24 credits. Well, it was a lot. Right. And they were like, oh, you could graduate early. And I'm like, oh, well, what do I do before I go to medical school since I'm graduating early? So um, that I got a master's degree in biology. And during this time, I worked as a psychometrist at Allegheny General Hospital. Um, we did uh, like Wisconsin card sort, like testing on um, people that had traumatic brain injuries and that sort huh. of thing. Um, and then I also worked at UPMC in the um, geriatric department mm -hmm. for a while. Um, and it was a lot of psychiatry because you know, there's a lot of dementia and sure. that sort of thing in the geriatric population. And then I went to medical school and um, I did some mental health um, things on top of going to medical school. Cause a lot of medical school, like doesn't really get into too much psychiatry, but, mm -hmm. um, I worked for United planet and I, um, worked uh, at the United States coast guard and I did a lot of uh, mental health related things in addition to going to medical school. Um, and then I did my internship and then I did two years of psych residency and then I opened up, up my own private practice because I didn't want to work for the man anymore. There I you go. <laughs> to, uh, work for myself. Right, um, and right. that actually worked out pretty well. Um, I won't digress too much, but I was actually diagnosed with cancer when I was in residency. Oh, my and goodness. So it, it was very challenging. And so opening up a private practice allowed me the flexibility to go to doctor's appointments right. and, <laughs> and take care of myself, right. which is really important for physicians in general, but especially in psychiatry, you need to have your own mental health sure. taken care of so you yes. can take care of other people's. Well, I hope you're in remission now and everything oh, as well. Yes, yes. Thank well, good. You. Yes, good. I am getting another MRI in two months. So hopefully okay. that looks good. Yes, there you go. And then I get how did you get interested in psychiatry? I'm just curious. Uh, well, I really like talking to people in high uh -huh. school. I was voted most outgoing. Uh -huh. And then in medical school, I was social chair every year and I just uh -huh. really like to listen. I like to right. talk to people and some of the specialties um didn't allow me enough time to really talk to my patients. Uh -huh. Like I thought um 
my ED like rotation was fun, but they were like four minutes per patient. Mm -hmm. I'm like, but I have so many things I want to ask. Right. And so psychiatry, I get like an entire hour to talk to people and, you know, really, really get into the psyche and to analyze people. And I just think it's so super interesting. Yeah, I love it. I love it. Expecting parents who are looking for great nursery decor, this message is for you. As you prepare for the beautiful journey ahead, let Home Threads be your partner in creating a serene nest for your growing family. At HomeThreads.com, explore a collection designed for comfort and style during this special time. From cozy nursery essentials to soothing rocking chairs, Home Threads has everything to create the perfect home for your little one and always at the best value. If you like unique items, then you definitely need to check out Home Threads. We got a silver picture frame from Home Threads that is absolutely beautiful. It's one of those timeless classic items that will last for years to come and it fits in any space in your home. Be sure to visit homethreads.com forward slash Dr. Nicole today and receive a code for 15% off your first order. Home Threads, love where you live. So let's get into uh, perinatal mood disorders. Is it PMAD? Yeah. So what, what does that stand for? What What does that encompass? Great question. Yes. Great question. So it's PMADS, which is perinatal mood and anxiety disorders. Okay. And I like to explain. So um, I do talks for um, prescribers about uh-huh. prescribing, and then I do talks to the general population. Sure. So if I'm just speaking for the general population. Uh-huh. Which is what my audience is. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's where I'll go. Mm-hmm. Yes. So. <laughs> Uh, I usually say postpartum depression because most people in the general audience and the general population know what postpartum depression is. Right. But I actually prefer to use the term PMADS. And there's two reasons I think PMADS is more appropriate. Mm-hmm. Again, PMADS is perinatal mood and anxiety disorder. Um, PMADS encompasses a greater period of time. So postpartum depression, postpartum is just after birth. For another year, mm-hmm. but perinatal in the PMADS is from conception to one year after. So it gotcha. encompasses a greater period of time. Yeah. Additionally, number two uh-huh. is that postpartum depression is just depression, whereas PMADS um, would be um, OCD, anxiety, PTSD, all sorts of other psychiatric issues. Yes. So PMADS has a greater time period mm-hmm. and then it encompasses more symptoms. So I use postpartum depression because most people know, but I would prefer to use PMADS because it really takes into account, you know, more um, items and um, more people would be included into that category of yeah. PMADS. Which is really important because it's not just postpartum, as you mentioned, and it's not just depression. Like anxiety comes up, birth trauma, things like that come up. So I really appreciate that you're, you know, talking about we need to expand it in a more um, encompassing way. It's great that we talk about postpartum depression, but we need to add the things uh, to that to talk about as well. That's right. You don't want to leave people out. Exactly. Exactly. So how common are perinatal mood and anxiety disorders? Well, the for postpartum depression, so I, there's no statistic, I think, specifically on PMAS, uh-huh. but on postpartum depression, they estimate every one out of six, it's actually one out of five to seven, but I think one out of six makes more sense. Uh-huh. Women. And then actually, um, dads can get postpartum depression. Huh. And the statistics are one out of 10 dads. Really? That's 10% of dads. Yeah. Oh, see, I did not know that. I did not know it was that common in dads. Yep. Okay. Okay. All right. All right. And then what are some risk factors for developing any of these conditions? Right. So they're pretty what you would imagine. So um, risk factors would include if you have some sort of environmental stressors, like um, lack of support from your family mm-hmm. or financial concerns, or you don't have childcare, or um, it's like an unexpected pregnancy mm-hmm. that you were not preparing for, mm-hmm. or um, there's abuse mm-hmm. going on or um job insecurity. So we have 
the environmental factors, you know, any of those stressors, those are going to be like negative points, sure. right? Sure. Um, and then, of course, we have our genetic predisposition. So if you have a family history of postpartum depression mm -hmm. or if you yourself has had some uh, mental health challenges in the past, um, but sometimes it can come with no signs, no predictors, nothing. It could just be seemingly, you know, no cause. Mm -hmm. But um, so definitely risk factors would be um, your um, social, um, support, financial support, yeah. um, those sorts gotcha, of things. Gotcha. Now, when you see folks that have these disorders or, um, or issues or concerns, do you mostly see depression? Do you see some anxiety? Do you see some PTSD? Like what do you see in your practice? Oh, well, I see it all, but I, okay. you know, I think it's a, if I, if I had to guess, it's probably comparable with anxiety and depression. Okay. Um, so we have this hormone pregnanolone, which sort of functions in a way to be protective, helps anxiety. Uh -huh. And after birth, it decreases. And if you have something that's helping with anxiety and then that decreases, your anxiety is going to go up. Right. And I really see a lot of anxiety after women give birth. It could also be that they're not sleeping and mm -hmm. then they have this new life form sure. and then they have to adjust their <laughs> entire life. But there's hormonal factors and environmental factors. Um, so I would say anxiety is a lot more prevalent postpartum than maybe people might think. Yeah, I agree too. I actually think I had, my first daughter was born uh, premature, eight weeks premature. And looking back, I most definitely had anxiety because I was scared she was like, something was going to happen to her right. when she came home to a level that wasn't, you know, it was excessive. So uh, I can see that we don't talk about anxiety enough and like, the social media pressure of having everything perfect oh, yeah. and all of those things. I'm, I'm not entirely surprised that anxiety is really prevalent. Yeah. Now some level of sadness, you, well, I shouldn't say sadness, but maybe some level of your, your, especially if it's your first baby, some anxiety, some depression, some, some level of that may be normal during pregnancy and postpartum. When should someone suspect that this is a problem and that they, they need to seek help for it? Okay, good question, because it could be confused with the baby blues, mm -hmm. which is in an estimated 70% of um, postpartum moms, and that's two weeks. So if it's longer than two weeks, it's not baby blues. Um, also, if it's just being a little, you know, emotional, um, like emotional, irritable, um, tearful, baby blues... Um, if it's longer than two weeks, then you start thinking about depression. But if it becomes to the point where it is impeding your activities of daily living, mm -hmm. like your blues is so severe that you cannot even shower or get out of bed, right. that's going to be something that you um, want to probably get some help for. Sure. Um, and so you want to make sure that I think a big component is the other people in your life saying, you know, you're not acting like yourself. Mm -hmm. You seem different because if you're going through this, you're probably not able to really recognize mm. it um, as well as people on the outside. So if people are commenting to you that you just seem unusual or like you've been isolating and people are like, well, I mean, if you just had a baby, it's not like you're going to go <laughs> hang right. out or anything. Right. But, you know, when people start commenting, um, that's like a big clue that it's going to be more than just your typical baby blues. Sure. Sure. And then to follow up to that, where, where should people seek help? Like, should they go to a psychiatrist right away? Should they start with a therapist? Like what are, what are things that, where should they go to look for? Help? Excellent question. So the screening, um, as recommended. So the American Academy of Pediatrics recommends when the baby comes in, you actually hand the parents the um, screening form um, at the first visit and then two months and then I think six months. Uh -huh. um, I could say that that doesn't happen a lot. Uh. So, but, and then OBs are supposed mm -hmm. to um, provide like um, the scale. It's either Edinburgh or if you're from Scotland, Edinburgh uh, scale to moms um, at some point throughout the pregnancy. So the OBs and the pediatricians are supposed to be doing the initial screening. And then if it 
comes back positive or even if it's negative, but the um, OB or pediatrician just gets the sense that there really is something that needs to be looked into, mm-hmm. they should refer to a psychiatrist. But then, like I was saying earlier, is that not all psychiatrists are well-versed and a lot are just like, I'm actually just not going to prescribe anything. Right. I'm too afraid of what could potentially happen. Right. So right. in a perfect and ideal wor- world, you'd want to refer them to a reproductive psychiatrist. Um, but like there just aren't very many of those at all. So okay. you could get them in presumably um, with a therapist much quicker. However, if it's an emergency, um, you would definitely want to refer to I mean, I hate to say the ER, but if they check that they're having suicidal thoughts on the scale, uh, you know, an emergency is an emergency and you got to actually, so I will digress briefly to describe four levels of mental health care. Um, So the first is your basic standard outpatient, that'd be therapist, psychiatrist, then an office. Mm -hmm. And then up from there, if things are more severe, there's intensive outpatient and that's where Patients get like three to five days for a couple hours of therapy, group therapy. They're in a program. If it's something going on like um, withdrawal or drug abuse or something where you need to be medically monitored and you want to have a nurse and vital signs, that would be a partial hospitalization program where you're pretty much in there all day, every day, but you do go home at night to sleep. And then if it's an emergency where... um, So let's say you're doing the screening and they say that they're having suicidal thoughts or having thoughts about um, harming others that they think that they might act on Mm -hmm. um, or if they are so disorganized that they cannot take care of themselves like they don't remember where they live. That would be an inpatient hospitalization and that's all day, all night. And so I just wanted to be clear that there's different levels based on the severity. Right. So if you're screening and somebody seems to have some mild depression, I would try to get them in. There's, there's um, a postpartum support international. Okay. And then there's like sub subcategories. There's like different states, like postpartum support, Virginia. You can type in like where you live. And there's, there's actually a whole bunch of like therapists that have the certification. And so if you're screening and it seems like um, there's depression, you could refer to one of them. Um, I would just not, I would make sure that you're referring to somebody that has some training because mm-hmm. you don't want them to get conflicting information because then they'll be distrustful of healthcare providers. Right. Um, but if it's something serious, then, you know, you, you got to get to one of those other levels of care that I just spoke gotcha, about. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So I want to back up for a minute and talk about people or not back up, switch topics, baby, for a minute and talk about people who are on medication before they get pregnant, either for depression or anxiety, and then become pregnant. What is your discussion or conversation about staying on medication versus coming off medication. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, this, this is kind of funny because I'll get calls from my colleagues, like my, my other friends who are psychiatrists mm-hmm. and they'll be like, Hey, Stephanie, I have a patient on da, 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 da. And then she just told me she's pregnant. Oh my goodness. And I'm like, well, calm down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, so my general philosophy and and again this is not medical advice because everybody's different and so like just because this is what would be applicable to most people doesn't mean that the average listener it's gonna apply exactly but the general philosophy that i have is that if they're on a psychiatric medication that is working i continue it except depakote all the other ones, uh, which is valproic acid. Right. And um, has- I don't prescribe that to people of reproductive potential anyway. So if they're on that, it was some other sure. doctor that did that. <laughs> um, but all the other medications, if they are working, don't mess with it. Okay. Um, one question I get a lot from other prescribers is, should I decrease XYZ mm-hmm. medication? Um, and the answer is no. And the reason is, is because... If you decrease their medication, they're still going to be exposed to the medication, but now initially they're going to potentially be exposed to uncontrolled mental illness. And I'm trying very hard not to go off on tangents, but again, briefly, I would like to point out that 
uncontrolled mental illness in the pregnant person, and I'm not going to get too sciencey, I swear, has epigenetic effects on the unborn child, meaning you can turn on and off DNA. So let me just put it in terms that if you are not controlling your mental health, it actually negatively affects the baby. So if you think like, oh, you know what, I'm just going to suffer um, through this depressive episode because I don't want my baby to be exposed right, to the medication. Right. Your baby is actually going to potentially have some negative outcomes from your suffering as well. Um, but I, I'm going to get back. On no, track. I, thank not- you for saying that. That is so, so important because I think people actually, and, and they don't, they mean, well, they think they're doing the right thing by coming off of medication because they're, you know, protecting their baby, right. but not realizing that so much about the baby's health is dependent on the mom's health. So it's just really important. And so I'm really glad you brought that up. Yeah. And, um, I, I have, I could go out on the epigenetics, but I won't, but suffice it to say, um, when I get these calls from other prescribers, my patient is on this medication. I found out they're pregnant. Do I decrease it? Do I stop? And if it's Depakote, that's different. Sure. But any other psych med, typically I would say no, because you decrease it, they're potentially exposed to untreated mental illness and they're still being exposed to the medication. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. And then, so then what do you do if someone decides, and, and I should back up and say, obviously you'll have a discussion with your doctor about any potential risk for the baby. Like we're not just going to, and there are actually very few risks for psychiatric medicines that um, impact the baby. I don't know if you want to talk about that as well. Any things to be on the lookout for, or, you know, people can just talk to their OB about that. I know with um, SSRIs, like, are there any in particular that you say, maybe switch to a different one? Or do you just say, stay the course for what you're on? Good question. I get this all the time. Mm-hmm. So um, in general, separate Depakote, the psychiatric medication that's working, just keep it the same. Okay. Now, there, there's talk that Paxil, there are studies that Paxil could have negative. Okay. You know, if this, this is really getting into like specific case by case things, mm-hmm. if the Paxil's the first thing they ever tried, then maybe you could switch to like Zoloft or, you know, mm-hmm. but, um, it depends on how many other medications they tried. So if they are already on Zoloft and Prozac and then Paxil was the one that worked, then you can keep Paxil on. Um, but if Paxil is the first thing you, you could potentially try them on Zoloft. Um, and then, I don't just tell my patients, all right, just keep on. I have this big lengthy conversation mm-hmm. and <laughs> I feel bad because I go into like studies and sure. they're probably like Dr. Waggle. Like I feel like I'm in school again, <laughs> but I'll go into studies because I need them to make an informed decision Absolutely. and I'll say, you know, this, okay. For example, there have been studies that have shown that the SSRIs can cause, um, increase um like length and duration of crying in newborn babies Mm -hmm. and then i have to say like is the potential that your baby's going to cry more than most babies going to be enough for you to stop it um and that sort of thing but i'll go through the studies and i'll say this one found this is this a deal breaker for you um that sort of thing and then i also introduce them to um some apps like mommy meds and things like that and i do like to you explain said mommy, that mommy meds, mommy meds. I've never yes. heard of that. Yeah, it's a, it's a good one. Um, MGH Women's Center for Mental Health has like my fave resources. Um, and I so okay. We go, when I continue a pregnant woman um, on a medication, I go over studies. I give them resources like the apps, and these are apps created by professionals, sure. not like right. social right, media influencers. Right, right, right. <laughs> Um, and then I give them um, the resources like MGH's um, website. And then the fourth thing I do, which is not required, and I understand that pregnant people are just so busy and overwhelmed, they probably don't have time. But I ask them to enroll in studies because it's not huh. ethical to put pregnant women into studies about different medications. 
But if you're already pregnant and taking the medication, that's how scientists are going to gather the data for future discovery. So I say, you know, I know you're busy and obviously you're having mental health issues, so I don't want too much on your plate. But if you want to sign up for these studies, so... That's the fourth thing that I do, but that one isn't really required. It. But it is required that you have to listen to me <laughs> talk, <laughs> about, talk about all the information. Yes, <laughs> and which which is important. People should make uh, decisions from being informed, and you want them to be informed, which is great. Exactly. Hey, so you made it this far in the episode, and I'm thinking it's because you enjoyed this podcast. Well, if that's the case, then I have a favorite to ask. Creating and producing the All About Pregnancy into Birth podcast has been one of the greatest joys of my life. I'm so grateful to have each and every one of you on this journey with me. Your support and engagement means the world to me, and it's what helps keep this podcast going. But here's the thing. Producing a podcast involves time, effort, and resources from recording equipment to an editor, hosting fees, coordinating guests, countless hours spent researching and crafting content. It all adds up. And that's where I could use your support. I've never wanted to turn all about pregnancy and birth into a paywall. I want it to remain accessible to everyone. That's why I've set up a way for you to support the show financially if you're able and willing. If this podcast has helped you during your pregnancy, your birth, or your life, I'm asking you to consider contributing to the show. Your support will help cover production and team costs and ensure that I can continue delivering the episodes you love. So in the month of March, head to drnicolerankins.com forward slash support and contribute whatever you can. Your support, no matter how big or small, makes a significant impact. It helps us continue delivering high quality content and ensures the future of all about pregnancy and birth. Again, that's drnicolerankins.com forward slash support. Thank you so much for being part of the All About Pregnancy and Birth community. Now back to the show. So then if someone decides to stop their medication, with them, which I'm sure some people do, obviously- I don't force people to continue right, either. Right. Not like- yeah, exactly. <laughs> obviously, you give them those resources that, they, um, that you talked about, and I- I presume maybe therapy is also another. Oh option yeah, yeah, thing. yeah, yeah. I'm not just like here's a pill. Right. You, if if the if in most cases, especially because it's um, even more sensitive, even more serious of a matter when you're pregnant. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't think I've ever said to a pregnant person on meds, you don't need therapy because there's so many life changes sure. coming up and you need support. Right. So I'm. Like 99.999% of the time, I also recommend therapy. I just wanted to clarify yep, that. Yep, gotcha. Do gotcha. Thank you. Thank you. So then if someone decides to stop, when do you recommend that they restart their medicine after they have the baby? Especially, particularly if they're breastfeeding. This is one of those things that I cannot generalize mm-hmm. because this is a super case by case basis. Okay. So, especially because the concentrations of different psychiatric medications are excreted to different percentages in breast milk. Uh And just to throw like an example out there, if the mom has ADHD um, and she's on uh, something like um, Adderall, Uh that has a higher excretion into the breast milk than something like Ritalin, which is a methylphenidate that has a lower excretion. So I would have to actually see what medication they're on but if i have to generalize Uh um most of the time it is because of the benefits of breastfeeding Mm -hmm. and again i know i can i can have like a whole nother topic about like breastfeeding but it it is thought that the benefits of breastfeeding outweigh um the the um excrete like uh the exposure to the medication gotcha now for things like benzodiazepines uh-huh. which is like um xanax um and ativan those this clonopin those types of things it you will probably not find a doctor that's like yeah you could breastfeed <laughs> right. and take Ex- except for me if you're checking in with me uh-huh. if i've analyzed the whole situation if your anxiety is so bad if you're having panic attacks then I will say, okay, gotcha. you can take this benzodiazepine and breastfeed as long as you're checking in with me. Right. But right. you, you okay. want to make sure that you watch 
the there's two things the baby uh-huh. if the baby is like somnolent and like super sleepy and lethargic like then then you know that the amount that is being excreted is having an effect on the baby right. so you have to pay attention to the cues from the baby the other thing is to, that i tell women that take benzodiazepines while breastfeeding to watch out for is falling like it's what if you get knocked out like benzos uh-huh. really make you like right you know right. like and you don't want to be breastfeeding and then you take um alprazolam and then you just like sure. fall asleep holding your baby yeah. so if you're gonna do that you're gonna need support from your partner mm-hmm. to really keep an eye on you mm-hmm. to make sure that you're not just like passing out in a chair right. Um, and, but then you also want to observe the baby. So the medication, when to start taking it, um, in terms of breastfeeding is very medication and patient specific. So unfortunately I don't have an gotcha. all encompassing gotcha. answer for you. Gotcha. On that. I'm th- I guess I'm thinking more like Zoloft effects or those kinds of medicines. We tend to restart oh, those pretty quickly. Yeah. You, you can yeah, breastfeed yeah, on those. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, well, speaking of medications postpartum, let's talk about the new postpartum medicine for depression. I don't even know how you say it. Zuranolone. Okay. Yeah. And yes. I, whenever I talk to people in the general population, mm-hmm. I just call it zoo because okay. I feel like. <laughs> I don't know how they come up with the names for these medicines. I think that but... they just have a random letter generator. <laughs> <Just>, yes. <laughs> So tell us about this medicine. How is it different than other medicines for depression or like why specific for postpartum? So, you know, it's year 2023 and this is the first year where there's an FDA approved medication for postpartum. Mm -hmm. All the medications that we've talked about so far, like the SSRIs, like Prozac, those aren't, those are used for postpartum depression. They're used for depression in general, but they're not specifically FDA approved for postpartum depression. Now, there was another medication that was approved for postpartum depression earlier called Bruxamalone. Mm-hmm. However, it's IV infusion over 60 hours. You have to be in the hospital and it costs 30 grand. So it's yeah. really not feasible <laughs> not, for no. <laughs> no. <laughs> I guess celebrities. Uh, right, <laughs> right, right. So that really wasn't super practical. So they were able to take that concept and put it in a pill, thankfully. And now that is what is approved. So um, it works a little, it's not an SSRI. It works similarly to a benzodiazepine. Okay. Um, And as such, it's going to be a controlled substance. Uh It does technically have some um, potential for addiction, just like the benzodiazepines like Xanax do. Uh Um, It, well, I'll let you ask specific questions yeah, about it. Yeah, no, yeah. Um, I, I, I didn't realize that it was similar to that uh, class of medications. So who's a good candidate for it? Like, is this should this be like a first line trial or who who is it appropriate for? So most, I would surmise that most of the people that are going to be taking it, and I actually not prescribed it yet mm-hmm. because I'm not sure. it. Last I checked, it was not out on the market. Mm-hmm. Um, but once it's there, I will prescribe it to people who are not having success on your standard regular antidepressant. Gotcha. And you certainly can take it on top of your regular antidepressant because one of the studies was looking at um, the medication alone versus the medication and other antidepressants. Okay. So they've already studied people on antidepressants taking it. Um, and, well, yeah, I'll, I got a lot to say about it, but I'll no. Go ahead, go ahead, please, go ahead. Tell tell us what well, else. I'm super excited about it, but I I also don't. So okay, I don't know if I did legal disclaimers. No one's paying me to. This is just sure. my opinions yep. about it. Yep. Um, I'm not like you know got stock in Zeranolone or anything. Um, it's just super promising, and but it is the studies were conducted by the manufacturers. So I just say, you know, keep that in mind. Mm -hmm. Whenever you're looking at a study, you want to see like what the motivation. So I, uh, as excited as I am about this medication, I'm not willing to commit a hundred percent that it's going to be fantastic because you know, like people can be biased when reporting things. How, how now with that said, Mm -hmm. there's so many great things about this medication. 
Allegedly. Okay. We'll find out soon. Right. Um, you only have to take it for two weeks. So what? You know, really? Isn't that wild? Yes. Yes. And so people get really frustrated about antidepressants. Right. It's like it'll it'll start working in six to eight weeks. Right. And you have to take it for a year. Or right. Two. But Zoranolone starts working in three days, and you only have to take it for two weeks, which is. In a psychiatric medication, it's just mind blowing. Right. That's why I want. I was so excited to say this, but I was like, "Oh, disclaimer." Yeah. Right. You know. Right. But if it works that way, yeah, that's it's really great. Um, and so it kind of it's um, it kind of. Let's see. I don't want to get too sciency. Um, but it like I said, it works on the same kind of ways that the benzos do uh-huh. on the GABA A receptors, okay. but it has an additional mechanism of action that your typical benzo like Xanax. Um, and, and it just has an extra way of working that those benzodiazepines don't have. Okay. Well, I'm excited to see then as it comes out yeah. and it's more available. I did not know that people only had to take it for two weeks. So that could be a game changer. Seriously. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so the as we kind of get towards the end, are there any myths or like, you know, things you wish people really knew about treating psychiatric illnesses in pregnancy or postpartum? Yeah, um, there's there's lots of myths <laughs> out there. Uh, so I think the first thing, whenever I talk about um, mental health treatment for pregnant persons, the first things that I start talking about is how common it is to um, decrease the stigma and make people feel more comfortable because, well, in my life, I'm obviously constantly talking about mental health. And then I'm like, you know, I just see people talking about getting mental health treatment, but that's not the case for all communities and all families. Mm -hmm. Some families, it's like taboo. You don't talk about it. And people think that they're the only person who's having this issue. And so I start out by saying one in every five to seven women and even one in every 10 men. And then people are like, Oh, well, I, I feel better that I'm not the only person going through this. Right. And so that's the first myth is that it's rare. It certainly is not rare. Um, this, the second thing, and, uh, this is one of the most impactful and most important things Mm -hmm that I like to emphasize and I always make sure to bring up when I'm speaking to um, a group of pregnant persons is I say, well, I explain I don't like to use the word crazy. However, again, when I'm talking to the general population, I do use that term because people know. I say, you're not crazy if you're having unwanted thoughts. A lot of moms, because again, that hormone that I mentioned earlier that that decreases after pregnancy that is protective for anxiety, Mm -hmm. uh, it goes out the window and then you have anxiety. And along with anxiety, you can have unwanted thoughts and they're intrusive a lot of the times. Mm. And I will do a trigger warning for anybody right now. Uh Okay. Um, The unwanted thoughts are typically pretty horrific like they wouldn't be unwanted if they were like thoughts about rainbows and butterflies right right? so the unwanted thoughts by definition would be like what if i drove my car off the road or dropped the baby right and that's why i said the trigger warning um and so when moms start having these thoughts they worry that they're going quote crazy Uh and then they're worried that if they tell anybody they will be committed to a hospital and i have to explain that not only are you not crazy, but this is actually very common after giving birth because you're, you're just like worried about everything. Right. Um, and so the differentiating, differentiating factor between this being something that is anxiety versus this being something that's an emergency uh-huh. that you would need to go to uh-huh. the inpatient hospitalization mm-hmm. is, are you okay with the thought? And, I'm going to use, um, we're going to do just two definitions. One is egocentric. Uh And that is that these thoughts, like, I'm just going to drive my car off the road. They don't bother you. Okay. Okay. And if you're starting to think that it's a good idea, oh, drive my car off the road. That sounds like a good idea. I'm not bothered. That is more of a psychotic psychosis type picture. And that is, it, it, 
an emergency. Sure. Um, sure. It, it, so if the thought, they wouldn't really be unwanted thoughts if you're starting to want them, right? Gotcha. And in that case, it's typically other people that are reporting to me. My uh-huh. wife is starting to think that this is a good idea right. or the baby is a demon and she's right. actually believing that this is the case. Right. So that right. is an right. emergency. Right. Right. That's exceedingly rare. Although if that is something that you're going through, there's medications like for that, but it, it is an emergency. Now, on the other hand is the thing that I see all the time, super common, is ego dystonic, meaning the thoughts are bothering mom. Mom would love to get rid of the thoughts. She doesn't think driving off the road is a good idea. Mm-hmm. In fact, she's terrified of it. Mm-hmm. Those are ego dystonic thoughts. Those are not an immediate emergency. However, it would be nice if we could control sure. those. Um, those are actually quite common, and those could be from anxiety or an OCD type picture. Okay. And then people were like, oh, I'm so glad I can talk about it yes. and not fear that you're going to commit me to a hospital. Yes. I, and so it, I always, and so many people are like, oh man, that's such a relief. You you were going to save a lot of people by saying that because I'm sure somebody no, is hearing like, it. I thought I was yes. crazy. Yes, like, yes, no. definitely. Yes. Thank you so much for sharing that. That's really important. So then my final questions, and I ask all of my uh, expert guests this, what is the most frustrating part of your work? <laughs> oh, that's, uh, that's funny. It's a toss up between, okay. I'm not blaming the farm, like the pharmacists mm-hmm. or anybody that works at the pharmacy. I'm blaming like corporate because <laughs> the pharmacies are so overworked. I read an article that there was a pharmacist who fills on average one prescription every minute. Oh my God. And so they're, they're so overworked. Right. But one of the things that really burns my biscuits is when the pharmacy loses my prescriptions. <laughs> <laughs> I really get very agitated gotcha. to the point I have actually started screenshotting my orders right. and sending them to the patients right. to prove right. I sent it in. Right. Uh, here's the time. Right. The date. Right. I swear right. I sent it. Right. But again, if you're filling a hundred prescriptions in an hour or whatever yeah. is going on at the pharmacy, yes. you're going to lose stuff. So I don't blame the pharmacist. Right. They're right. very overworked. Right. But then it just makes things very difficult for me when my prescriptions just disappear. Yes. And- yes. <laughs> so then the patient has to wait and it's just like a frustrating thing. I totally get it. Yeah. And then on the flip side, what's the most rewarding part of your work? I love whenever a patient says, I feel that I return to my normal self. Mm. I'm back to the way I was, yeah. I'm my normal self again. I'm just like, oh, that's great. Yes, yeah, absolutely. And then what is your favorite piece of advice that you would give to an expectant mother or parents? It's to make sure you have a good support system and um, don't hesitate to take care of yourself. And if anything convinces you to take care of yourself, it would be the epigenetic Uh, factors Mm -hmm. that I talked about earlier. Basically, if you like, let's say you won't take care of yourself for yourself, take care of yourself for your child, Mm. because uncontrolled mental illness or issues going on with you actually does affect the turning on and off of DNA in your baby. So if you're not going to take care of yourself for yourself, take care of yourself for your the, your child's genetics. Excellent advice. Excellent advice. So where can people find you? Well, <laughs> I am in um, Reston. Uh-huh. By, well, they call it the McTaco Hut because there's a Taco Bell, McDonald's, okay. and Pizza Hut. <laughs> uh, the Wheelie Reston Metro Stop, that's where my office is. Uh-huh. But I do virtual. So as uh-huh. long as you're in Virginia, uh-huh. you could just find me at www.improvelifepllc.com. Okay. And, um, oh, I would love it if people found me on YouTube yeah. because um, I put a lot of work into my videos. Well, let, tell, where are you on YouTube? Tell us where you are on YouTube. So it's uh, Improve Life PLLC on YouTube. Uh, and then there on our website, there is a link to all the social medias. Uh-huh. Um my person, well, my professional Instagram is Improve Medical Culture. That one is focused on my mission to make the culture of medicine not so toxic for med students and um, residents. Oh, because cool. They really, 
they really get abused yeah. a lot. There's a <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I have ten thousand followers on there. I'm, okay. I'm proud of that. Awesome. One. awesome. But the the clinic has an Instagram too, and that's Improve Life P L L C. P is in Paul, L is in Lion, L is in Lion, C is in Cousin. Awesome. Thank you so much. And we will link all of that in our show notes. Well, thank you so much for agreeing to come on to the podcast. This was really informative. I know I learned a lot and I know the people listening learned a lot. And I know you have helped someone with this information today. Oh, I hope so. Thank you, Dr. Nicole. It was super fun. I love talking about this type of stuff. Wasn't that a great conversation? This is so important. There just aren't that many perinatal psychiatrists out there. So I'm really glad that she was able to come on and share her experience. Now, you know, after every episode, when I have a guest on, I do something called Dr. Nicole's Notes, which are my top takeaways from the conversation. Here are my Dr. Nicole's Notes from my conversation with Dr. Waggle. One, I do want to plug Postpartum Support International. That website has a lot of resources for you. You can put in your zip code and get connected with providers in your area who are actually interested in doing a reproductive health, uh, reproductive mental health. So Postpartum Support International, that website is www.postpartum.net. So do check that out if you need any resources. Second thing I want to talk about is normalizing those unwanted thoughts. I thought that was such a really important thing to mention that we all have unwanted thoughts. It doesn't make us bad people. It doesn't make us abnormal. It just makes us human. And it's how we manage those thoughts, how we deal with those thoughts. That is what's going to set us up for success. But it is completely normal to have unwanted thoughts. It's just a part of being human. The next thing I want to talk about is how the most important part of a healthy baby is a healthy mom. She mentioned that she actually prefers to keep patients on their medication if they were taking medication for anxiety or depression, as long as they know the risk. Because if you don't take care of yourself, then how are you going to be able to take care of a baby? Okay. So really the most important piece, and this is something that I believe we miss so much in our society. We focus so much on the baby without realizing the first step for that baby to be healthy is to have a healthy mom. So take care of yourself, take care of the medications, take the things that you need to take in order to be the best, healthiest version of you. And the final thing I want to talk about is since we recorded this episode, there was an article in JAMA, the Journal of American Medical Association, big journal, uh, kind of, it was like a research letter maybe, or, or opinion letter. Anyway, it expressed some concerns about this new depression medication. And I'll say back up just a little bit, studies in pregnant women or postpartum women and breastfeeding are really, really difficult. It can be hard to get people to enroll in studies. I mean, who? let's be honest, who wants to sign up to be in a study while you're pregnant? That may be concerning for you, or maybe not, maybe not. But for a lot of people, it's a natural concern, right? So I can see how it's challenging, or you can understand how it's challenging to study any medication in pregnancy. But with this particular depression medication, when they did the studies, you couldn't breastfeed. You only take the medication for a short period of time. I believe it's two weeks, but you can't breastfeed during that time. They required that people were on contraception during the study. And then the final thing that was really like, hmm, raising red flags about whether or not this medication is as great as it was promised to be is that they compared the medication to doing nothing for postpartum depression which is not the standard of care. If somebody has postpartum depression, then we're going to treat that with medication, okay? That would be the standard of care. So what they really should have done is instead of comparing this new medicine to not doing anything, they should have compared it to not doing anything and to a group who were receiving medication for depression, um, like all three groups, or if you're going to have two groups, then they should be the medication, the new medication, and then the standard of care for regular postpartum depression. You should not have compared it to not getting anything because that's not a fair comparison. So just keep that in mind if that medication is ever brought up, or if you thought about pursuing or interested in that medication, just so you know. 
Okay, so there you have it. Please share this podcast with a friend. I so appreciate your help in reaching and serving as many pregnant folks as possible. And when you share, it just, it helps me and it helps them. So share this podcast with a friend. Also subscribe to the podcast and Apple podcast or wherever you're listening to me right now. Subscribing, make sure that you never, never, ever miss an episode. And if you subscribe in Apple podcast, do leave a review there. I appreciate it. A five-star review. If you like the podcast, let me know what you think about the show. Also come, let me know what you think about the show on Instagram. I'm on Instagram at Dr. Nicole Rankins. My DMs are open. If you want to come talk to me, I'm there. Come check me out there. So that is it for this episode. Do come on back next week. And remember that you deserve a beautiful pregnancy and birth.